This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That over the moon to say that I'm joined today on CFB by John Hartson. Many people will know John from playing at Arsenal, playing at West Ham United, and obviously if you're loving Scottish football as I do from playing with Celtic as well. First of all, John, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure. No problem at all. The, the first question I've got for you, um, you were born in Swansea. What was your upbringing like? And also when you started playing football, were you always a striker? Um... Well, first of all, uh, my upbringing was fantastic. Uh, my, my mother and father were very supportive of myself, my brother and two sisters. We grew up on a council estate, um, three bedrooms, one bathroom, um, five of us living in the house. But it was a very happy house and we had a lot of love. Um, we didn't go on big fancy holidays because simply my mother and father couldn't afford it. You know, we... We used to go down to South Wales to a caravan park and my dad um, would put all the, the suitcases on a roof rack. He had an open top, uh, open sort of top van and we used to like to jump in the back of the van, um, you know. And uh, no, my upbringing was, was excellent. My mum was a psychiatric nurse. Uh, my dad put his hand to anything really just to put some food on the table and... Um, we were far from, um, say, comfortable. What is comfortable? I think my mum and dad just made ends meet and put food on the table and made sure that, you know, we had a clean bed to sleep in and clean clothes to go to school. We were just a very ordinary, normal family, like lots of millions of other families. And I'm very proud of my upbringing and my roots because I think that's what... Um, that's what ultimately makes you as a person when you get older, how you treat your own kids. And um, my parents were excellent. As I said, my, my dad took me everywhere to play football with the teams, whatever team I was playing for. He was always on the touchline watching me, supporting me. And, uh, and at 14 years of age, uh, I started playing football when I was seven or eight. I played for several junior teams. But at 14 years of age, I, I received a letter that came through the door from Luton Town Football Club, signed by David Pleat, the manager at the time, um, offering me a two-year scholarship when I, get to 50, when I get to 16 and I leave school. So they offered me that at 14 years of age because um, I, I was going back and forth to Luton on trials. So I pretty much knew at 14... I say scholarship, it was a YTS scheme then. Um, so I pretty much knew, even at 14, I don't know if this was a good thing or a bad thing, because um, it meant that I, I had something to do when I left school. My focus was on going to Luton to start a YTS scheme, which was Luton must be 300, 350 miles away from Swansea. And um, it, it was never going to be... 
an easy jump for me because I was, um, you know, a lot of kids struggled to go away from home. Um, I was after to go up to Luton and, you know, stay with the family and, and settle. And that's literally the, the start of a footballer's uh, journey when you go up and you leave home and then you go into training every day and then your body sort of changes and with the, with the, with the training um, and everything else involved with starting out on, on a football path. Um, and, uh, you know, at 16, you're not fully developed, of course, um, as, a, as, a, as, as a person. So um, that was my first sort of start uh, was when I was 16, being offered that, uh, that white yes scheme. And as I said, I'm not sure if it was a good or bad thing because um, it meant I didn't have to try too hard in my last two years of, of high school, really my fifth and sixth year, because I knew whatever happened, I was, I was leaving home with my two kids and I was off up to Luton, um, up to Bedfordshire. So that was pretty much the start for me. And when you arrive at Luton, you're a teenager, did... Does that sort of give you the a sense of having no fear at all to to play your game and break into the team, which you certainly did very young? Well, I, I didn't have much fear. I was pretty much um, I was very outgoing. Uh, wouldn't say I was overly confident, but I was. I, I would take on challenges, and if I had to play against senior boys in in the school or down in my local park, if when I was ten, twelve, thirteen years of age. I play against 15, 16 year olds and I held my own on that council estate where you had to at times. It, you know, it, it wasn't, no shrinking violets were, were, were brought up around where I was, you know, everybody was, um, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a great, um, as I said, it, it was excellent. It was lots of, there was a social club and we were all very close. I worked, I collected glasses in the social club where, where I lived. So um, I was I was ready I was ready to go and I was ready to face what was coming my way. You know there was there was there was nothing really. A lot of people struggle with it, but for me personally, I, I was quite happy to go and, to go and do my best. That's all it was, um, and I quickly I quickly did very well for the youth team. I was pushed into the reserves. Where reserve team football, you don't get reserve team football now. It's under 21s, under 23s, under 19s. But the reserve team was basically the second team. If you played well in the reserves, that would push you on to go and play and make your first team debut. So I was playing against teams like West Ham reserves, and you had Alvin Martin, who was coming back from injury at 20 years at West Ham, a brilliant senior in, in, you know, player. And so when you're 17, 18, playing in the reserves, um, you get that chance to play against men. And again, I did very well whenever I was pushed into the reserves. And I got into the first team at 19 years of age. It, it was only, it was a quick sort of development, the youth team and the, and the reserves for me. And, um, and then I, I made my debut at, um, at just turned 19. And I made my debut for Luton Town against Brian Clough's Nottingham Forest in, um, this would have been uh, 1994. I made my debut for Luton, yeah, which was a great moment for me and my family. And in terms of making your debut, 
especially being a forward-thinking player. What was that like? Did you put pressure on yourself going into your debut or were you just delighted to be making it? I was just delighted to be making it. I just couldn't wait to make my first... Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Um, I was just delighted to get in and, and get my chance. Um, I was very young. All my family was there. Um, and uh, it was going to be a tough game because there was players like uh, Des Walker, Stuart Pearce and uh, Brian Clough, of course. Um, so it was against one of the, one of the top teams, um, you know, at the time. And uh, I was just raring to go. I, I do my stripes, if you'd like, in the youth team and the, and the reserves. And um, I was just raring to go. I wanted to get in there, get my first touch, win my first header. You know, and I, thankfully I scored. I actually scored twice. The first goal was offside, and the second goal I scored proper. Um, but we lost the game two-one. And Kingsley Black, who was a former Luton Town player, had joined um, had joined Nottingham Forest, and he actually got the winning goal that day at Kenilworth Road. Um, so it was a massive moment. It was the very beginning of what was going to be a long career and uh, a good career. And um, I was just very happy that I was, I was given that opportunity by Luton. Um, uh, David Pleat had obviously saw the natural talent that I had and he, he pushed me into the team. And um, I only played 52 times for Luton. And then obviously the, um, the big transfer to Arsenal came then at 19 years of age. You mentioned Arsenal, 19 years years of age, and when you joined them, it's a British record fee for a teenager at the time. Yeah. Did, did, did you feel the weight of expectation with that transfer fee? Or again, because you were so young, was it a case of just brushing it off and focusing on your game? Do you know what? Um, it's funny to say now, is like nerves don't really come into it when you're young. You know, I think when you're young, you're boisterous, you're, you're full of got an air of confidence about you you've got legs you've got power you've got the energy levels you know you're, you're bouncing around the place at 18 19 you can do anything you want do you know what I mean it's when you get to 32 33 I was asking myself questions can I still produce what I could produce five or six years previously like when I went to West Brom at 32 Brian Robson um, I was more nervous then. Brian Robson signed me and Kevin Phillips on the same day because I was thinking, well, I'm not too sure. You know, I'm not as quick and maybe not as fit and maybe not as hungry as I was. when. So when you're 19, it's funny because young players, they just get on with it. You know, they just, they just, they just do what they're told ultimately and they go and do and express themselves. And... So when I joined Arsenal, there were some superstars at Arsenal. Of course, George Graham, for one, was a, you know, a very well-respected manager. Very successful manager. Had won the double at Arsenal as a manager. And, um, you know, you had the likes of Tony Adams, who was our captain, who was a magnificent person and a, a great player, a great leader of men. Um, the likes of Paul Merson, who was an unbelievable footballer. Um, Ian Wright, of course, who was the, who was the current England centre-forward at the time when I joined Arsenal. So I signed on the Friday and I made my debut on the Saturday. So it was a good thing, really, because it wasn't so much of a build-up. 
I was thrown straight in. It was a game against Everton. I played against my mate, Big Neville Southall. Um, you know, the, the Everton and Wales goalkeeper. We drew the game 1-1. And uh, Wrighty scored and Big Duncan Ferguson got sent off, believe it or not. Um, so that was my debut. And then I managed to score on my second game for Arsenal. It was an away game at Coventry, the old Highfield Road. And uh, we won the game 1-0 and I got the goal. So that, that was quite a decent start. Then we played Southampton on the Tuesday night. And I also scored in that game as well. So I, I've got off to a flyer at Arsenal, really. Um, but it's a wonderful club, fantastic training ground, great, great players. Not even mentioned Dennis Burkamp yet. And Dennis arrived at the club as well when I was there. Uh, I had a few issues with Matt, the managers at the time because Bruce Rioch, uh had came in. George had uh, been re- relieved of his duties as manager of Arsenal. And um, I never quite saw eye to eye with Bruce Rioch. Um I was young, I wanted to play. He wasn't playing me. Um, we, had, we had words off off the field and everything else. And it, it wasn't a good time for me then. Um, and then Arsene Wenger came in. And working with Arsene Wenger was magnificent. Uh, he wanted me to stay at the football club and learn from Dennis and Ian Wright. Um, but I had Harry Redknapp on the phone. And Harry's quite persistent if he wants something, you know. And Harry was telling me, I'll build my team around you, John. I was 21 years of age. I'd been at Arsenal for two years. I think I'd racked up about 60, 70 games of appearances for Arsenal during that time. Played in two European finals as well at that particular, during my time at Arsenal, the Super Cup final and the uh, the Cup Winners' Cup final. Lost them both. Um, so Arsene Wenger was a gentleman. Um, changed everything in terms of the training and um, and and all the diets and uh, just his methods and the way he spoke to people and his intelligence and um, you know the tactics side of things and everything. He was amazing, Arsene Wenger. So much time for him, absolute gentleman. Never heard him swear. Never ever heard him swear. He was just the way he conducted himself. He had everybody's attention and he was he was just top top class. Um, at that particular time and as I say going back to he wanted me to stay Um, I had three years left on my contract I signed in 95 and uh, this was 97 and uh, I ended up going to West Ham and I had three years left on a contract at Arsenal and I signed with Harry Redknapp and again West Ham turned out to be a great move for me. Before we talk about Harry and West Ham in particular I want to ask you about few of the characters you mentioned there, Paul Merson being one. He's someone who I just, when you watch clips of Paul playing, the magic man is, is an apt nickname. A lot of the younger generation see him now, obviously, in Soccer Saturday as a pundit. They maybe aren't aware of his playing abilities, which frustrates me because people forget that these guys were top-class players. What was he like in the dressing room and as a player as well when you were there? Well, he was, he was a great person, Merce, but he, he'd admit himself that he had, he had some issues. He had some issues to deal with. I think he was, um, you know, he was taking drugs. He was drinking a lot. Um, and he's admitted this himself. So this won't be too shocking for people to hear this. Um, and he went into a priory. And uh, I was actually there the day that he came out of the priory because it was a Super Cup final and we played AC Milan at Highbury. And the AC Milan defence was Baresi, Costa Curta, Maldini. We played them over two legs because Arsenal had won the Cup Winners' Cup in '94, and AC Milan had won the European Cup. 
So then the, the, the teams meet in a Super Cup and we drew nil-nil. And that was Paul's first game back um, from coming out of the Priory, which he'd spent, I don't know, a month or six weeks or something. So it was a massive night for Paul himself. And, but no, he was, uh, he was great to me. Um, his, his, I can remember his boys being very young and they'd be running around the training ground with him and things like this. And um, It was the era of, of the boxing, the great boxing, when um, Tyson was fighting Lewis. And um, there, there was loads of really big fights on at the time. And um, we'd end up having a Chinese around one of the players' houses, Nigel Winterburn, Stevie Bold, who all lived in and around the St. Albans area. And we'd all get together and have some food and everything else. And they were really good to me because, again, I was very young. I was only 20, 19, 20, 21. So um, no, Paul was excellent. I still speak to him today. And, um, you know, he's looking good now. He's, he's You know, he's, he's looking great again. I think in the last few months, he's... He's, you know, he's got back to dealing with some issues that crept up again into his life. So I'm delighted that uh, Paul's back on the straight and narrow. I think he's a great pundit. I think he says it as it is. He, he talks a lot of sense. Um, and he gave Celtic a big mention the other day when he, when he was saying about how difficult it can be playing for Celtic. It's like playing for Manchester United because everybody wants your scalp. You know, you're the biggest club in the country. Every game Celtic play, it's live on television. It's reported on tenfold. It's on every website. It's on the fan pages. And there's pressure. You know, if you lose a game, it's a crisis. You know, um, and, that, and sometimes people can't play in that pressure. You know, there's many players that have come to Celtic and gone to Man United and not caught with the, you know, the level of intensity and the, um, the high pressures that come with having to win all the time. There's no respites. You can't go three games, you know, have a rest, if you like, um, not win type of thing. Um, that, that is just uh, the managers getting the sack if you lose three games on the spin. Potentially, there's people in the crowd saying, oh, we want to change it, you know, things like this. So uh, Paul was speaking about it, and... Um, I put it out there on my social media and that. I got him a few extra Celtic fans, actually. Paul Mercer, when I, when I put his little quotes and things on, on my little social media stuff. So, uh, no, he was great. And again, uh, we've remained good friends. But there were several, several times at Arsenal. You know, Ian Wright was brilliant with me, Dennis Bergkamp. And me and Wright, he often played as a front two. And Dennis yep. played in the hall in behind. And um, I've not even mentioned, you know, the back four, if you like, and Seaman as well, who's arguably one of the best in the world at the time. So it was a great club. I had a brilliant two years there, as I said. Uh, we never won anything, but um, I played in two European finals, which was a great experience. So young. Um, but as I said, uh, you know, it was, it was a great two years. But in the end, I ended up leaving because I wanted to play. I wanted to play every week. I didn't want to sit on the bench. It's a short career. Um, and I ended up going to West Ham and um, I played it, played, played for the time I was there. Absolutely. And you mentioned Harry Redknapp. I was lucky enough to interview Harry last week. He was in great form. Just what was he like to, to, as a manager? Because everyone that I've spoken to always talks about his man management being just fantastic. Well, I think that's a big part of management is, is man management. It's, it's, it's when to put your arm around a player. It's, it's when to give a player a kick up the backside. It's 
when to appreciate when a player's going through a rough time, maybe off the pitch, is dealing with with um, with individual players because not every player is going to be at it every single training session or not every single player, unless you're Henry Glasson, is going to be absolutely <laughs> magnificent every weekend. Um, so it's dealing with that. It's, it's dealing with personalities and look at the way Neil Lennon has dealt with Lee Griffiths. It's just, just been outstanding, the way that he's got him back, firing again, left him out of the team, giving him extra training, um, put him through certain scenarios when he needed some help. Um, it's, it's, it's things like that. It's, it's helping a player when, when, when they're a little bit off, you know, and there was nobody better than Harry at doing that. He was outstanding with the players. The players loved him. And, um, you know, he, 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 he paid record money for me. So he really put his trust in me and 3.2 million, which was the most West Ham I'd ever spent on a player. And, um, Again, I, I had two years at West Ham. Unfortunately, I, I, had, a, I had a training ground incident with Al Berkovich, which I, I deeply regret. It was the wrong reaction. I, I shouldn't have reacted the way that I did. Um, I apologised and I, I accepted full responsibility for what, for what happened on that day. Um, and uh, ultimately then, I think that was probably the, the beginning of the end. I think that incident, I think... Um, Wimbledon had come in with a with a bid again, another record. Um, it's not easy breaking all these records all the time, you know. <laughs> but uh, they came in with seven point five million pounds. I'd only been at West Ham for two years. It, it, it doubled what West Ham had paid for me uh, in terms of the transfer. And then West Ham went out and bought a legend in Paulo De Canio, who was unbelievable for them. Absolutely loved by the West Ham fans. So I keep saying to the West Ham fans who I have a great relationship with as well, look, if you hadn't sold me, you might never have signed Paolo, you know, because it was basically the next day. Um, so, um, no, at the end of the day, I think it was a deal that suited both parties. I did well for West Ham, uh, scored a lot of goals there. And, and then, obviously, um, you know, they'd got the best out of me. And then, obviously, they doubled their money. So I think suited both parties for me to move on because I think the, the, the Albuquerque incident, as I said, I struggled to regain top form after that. So they are, and the fact that they've done more than doubled what they paid for me, it was a good deal for them. And in the end, it probably was a good deal for me to leave. But with hindsight, that I wish I'd stayed at Arsenal. I wish I'd stayed at West Ham. You've got all these things, but it's, it's, it's in hindsight then. I think at the time you, you, you try and do the right thing, you act and you do the right thing at that particular time and that's how you feel. I've always been pretty much like that. And then in, sometimes then I, in, in afterwards you go, why did I do that? Why did I say that? It's, and in a day like today, you know, in the world as it is, you know, there's politically correctness and everything else and, you know, you, 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 you've got to be more than aware the equality and everything else, which is absolutely right at times, um, of what you say and, and what you do. I think that's important. Absolutely. And you go to Wimbledon, um, the club where struggling to an extent where they eventually do get relegated. And there's interest, though, as there's always been through your career and yourself. The, the move that I know you've spoken about in the past, but I want to really 
hone in on is that proposed move to Rangers. How close was that move to happening? How just genuinely was it was it something that was about to happen? There. Signing. That's how close it was. I'd agreed terms with um, Mr. Murray, the current chairman. Uh, sorry, the, the chairman at the time, should I say. Um, I'd flown up from Cardiff to do the medical um, in Mr. Murray's private jet, me and my dad. And we'd agreed terms. I was signing on the same day as Ronald DeBoer in the year 2000 for £6.5 million which I think would have been another record. <laughs> um, but um, I had two scans on my knee and um, I spoke to Dick Advocat. I was sitting in Mr. Advocat's office and then the, the big Dutch doctor that they had came in um, with some scans that come back from my knee. And he said, look, I'm really sorry, boss. You, you're telling the manager that we, we can't proceed with the deal on the evidence of the scan of my knee. So then Mr. Advocat is apologizing to me and saying how sorry he is and how, how you know how much of a big signing he thought I, I, and an impact I could have made. And then within half an hour I'm back, I'm back in a taxi and I'm back at Cardiff Airport. I sorry, I'm back at Glasgow Airport, back on the private jet, and I'm back to Wales. I was at Ibrox for about an hour and a half. Um, in between that, I went to Ross Hall to do my scan. I came back. And um you know, it, it just, it didn't work out. And again, with hindsight, it, it was probably one of the best things that, uh, without sounding disrespectful, it was probably one of the best things that that happened to me in terms of failing that medical and then joining Celtic, you know, with the success that I had at Celtic. And not only that, Martin O'Neill to put his trust in me and to pay uh, big money for me, knowing that I'd failed four medicals on the evidence of my knee. So Martin took a chance and um, I played 224 games for Celtic and never once put a packet of ice on my knee. So it, it worked out quite well. Um, you know, but I, th I think sometimes, you know, people say to me, oh, you know, what, why would you sign for Rangers? I'll tell you why I would have signed for Rangers. is because at, at that particular time, I'm playing for uh, Coventry and the Gordon Strachan. Sorry, I'm playing for Wimbledon. And um, I'd only been to Scotland in my life once. I didn't have any allegiances to either club, really. I, I, I knew how big both clubs were. And um, I defy anybody who's not um, sort of party to um, the Rangers' side, their beliefs and their religion and everything else, and the same as Celtic. If anybody had an opportunity and they weren't connected to any sort of family, grown up, everything else, um, Catholic, Protestant, this type of stuff, uh, they would have signed for Rangers. If, if, if Dick Advocat would have gone in for Henrik Larsson in 1994 or 1995, then Henrik would have signed for it. He wouldn't have said, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought he would have said because he wouldn't have had any allegiances. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But obviously now, um, you know, looking back on it, um, you know, it was one of those things and, and it, it happened. And I, you know, ultimately I went on to play for Celtic and scored over 100 goals for what is a fantastic club. And I've got a great relationship with the supporters. And, uh, you know, I, I've put this out there many a times. Uh, 
it was the best marathon that I failed. <laughs> <laughs> See, in terms of, before we, we come on to Celtic in a, in a, in a more in-depth way, See your deal at Coventry under Gordon Strachan. Was that a pay you play deal at first, John? It wasn't pay for me. I was on a I was on a, a regular wage. It was pay Wimbledon. Uh, I've once I've played so many games, but I only played twelve games, um, and then I moved. I moved on. Then I yep. Celtic um, during. I think I, I I joined in the August. Yeah, it's one of the few clubs Celtic that I joined actually in the August. Because my other three moves and my four moves were, were pretty much done in the January. It was either the team signing me to try and push on or the team trying to sign me to get them to help them from relegation. But I joined Celtic in August, which was good because I, I had a pre-season with them. And, um, I signed on the same day, the, the night that they beat Manchester United in Ryan Giggs' testimonial. And I, I watched it... Um, in the number one Devonshire hotel where Celtic had put me up for the night before I did my, uh, in the, near the west end of Glasgow. And I was watching it in my room <laughs> and I was just disappointed I wasn't a part of it because obviously I, I knew Ryan, played with Ryan Giggs with the Welsh team very well. Um, ended up playing with each other for 10 years. Uh, so I would love to have played in that game, you know, from my mate. But, uh, you know, I, I quickly got the medical done. And um, I was a Celtic player, which was fantastic. And in terms of that era of Celtic, when, when you look back, yourself, Henrik Larson, Chris Sutton, Neil Lennon, Alan Thompson, <laughs> Stylian Petrov, Mialbe, Jack, I can go on and on. When you think of the, the, the number of characters and top-class players in that team at that time, just unbelievable. And that's before we come to the coaching staff of Martin, John, um, Steve, and, and so many others. Just what was it like being involved in the club at that time? Because... As I've just mentioned, so many characters that I imagine you all drove each other on week in, week out. Well, it was so many characters and it was so many big games as well. You know, every, every game we played, you know, turned into a big game. You know, success in Europe, uh, cup competitions, you know, league wins against a competitive Rangers team at the time as well. Um, and it was a great side. You know, looking back now, you probably didn't... Well, I, I do appreciate because I know how good the players were, but... Uh, it was like riding a crest of a wave, if you like. It was um, every day was pretty much, you know, the training was very good. It was fast. It was quality, quality players. And then some of the youngsters would get involved, like um, Craig Beattie would come across and Sean Maloney, um, uh, Darren Day, Stephen Pearson. Um, you know, people like this would get involved as well. And I think they would put training with, with that group of senior players made them players because they had to grow up pretty quickly. Um, them, them type of players who were working with, God rest his soul, Tommy Burns um, with the under-18s and the academy side of things and Willie McStay and that. And uh, No, we had some great players. As I said, for me to have, to have played with, with, with Chris and, and Henrik, um, you know, to have... They had such a great partnership, you know, and for me to have sort of... I won't go far as broken up so I've got into that sort of um, two or three. And Chris went and played a lot of games in midfield. He was very versatile, centre-half. Um, so to have played with them two players, I had a lot of respect for Chris. I played against him in England several times when he was at Blackburn, and, uh, when I was at West Ham or Arsenal. So we had mutual respect for each other because we did very similar roles. You know, we were both four-guard points. We, 
we ball target men, decent in the air. Um, he was a bit quicker than I was, but um, <laughs> but it, it was great. And when you got the likes of Lambert and Petrov, and, you know Stevie Gatby, Alan Thompson, Didier Gat, when they're feeding you with with chances every week. If you're not scoring 20, 25 goals for Celtic, you're not doing your job right, you know, per season. So I managed to hit them type of targets when I was there. And, um, you know, it was, it was a thoroughly fantastic five years for me. You know, I, I couldn't have envisaged having this success and, um, you know, the, the, the good times, you know, uh, with that group of players up at Lennox Town where we trained. Um, it didn't make no difference to us whether you had state-of-the-art million-pound grass surfaces or um, this, that or the other. It was Lennox Town. We just trained there. We got on with things. We'd go into the ground every day. We'd get changed at, the, at Celtic Park. Then we'd jump in our cars. We'd go to training. Um, um, we, had such, we, we had such a great... Uh, it was quite a unique bond, really. Everybody got on. There was never an issue with, with any clicks or anything like that. And as I said, you know, looking back, it could have been six years. I left with a year on my contract. Gordon Strachan replaced me with Kenny Miller and Scott McDonald. But uh, he, has, he has to answer that, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> but um, ultimately, he went on to win titles. So I, I can't question it too much. But um, no, the great five years, nothing but, nothing but positive and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Just talk me through the goal against Liverpool because I know that goal, not only was it an absolute screamer of a goal, but it means a lot to you personally because Liverpool were a team in your boyhood who you, you really looked up to. Yeah, that reason for that was was obviously Ian Rush was my idol. You know, he scored 350-odd goals for Liverpool and I was a striker myself and he was, he was Welsh. And I went on to take that number nine shirt off Ian Rush, which is an incredible honour for me uh, to have worn that shirt for 10 years as I did for my national team <clears throat> so that was the big reason why I, I followed Liverpool as a kid I also of course had a, had a massive um, I, I had a massive uh, liking in for my hometown club Swansea as well you know <clears throat> my dad would take me to watch Swansea on the North Bank and uh, sit in the Vets field the old Vets field you know when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten years of age uh, but Liverpool became the team. I, I was um, at Liverpool kits. I was watching a game the other day, 1983, Liverpool played Atletico Madrid and they wore the yellow crown paints sponsor with a little red stripe. And I was watching it and I said, I, I used to have one of them kits as a child growing up, you know. Uh, so to have scored the goal, I, I played at Anfield many a times uh, for Arsenal, West Ham, Wimbledon. Never scored there. Never won there. Uh, so to have done that, quarterfinal of the UEFA Cup, you know, to seal the deal, if you like, we were 1-0 up. That made it 2, I think, in about the 75th, 76th minute. Um, Liverpool were never coming back from that. We were just playing so well on the night. And um, it was, it was, a, it was a great from a personal level, but also from the team's point of view, it was a wonderful team performance. I missed a penalty on the Sunday against Rangers in the League Cup final. Um, this was on the Thursday. We'd drawn 1-1 at Celtic Park. We go into the game and we're going out because we need an away goal. If we don't score an away goal, if it ends up 0-0, nil -nil, 
we go out because Emil Heskey had scored the, the one goal in the 1-1 draw at Celtic Park. So we knew we had to score at Anfield. And historically, Liverpool, a great European team. Six European caps now, incredible. And uh, it was a great performance from a team point of view to have kept a clean sheet. Heskey and Michael Owen with their front two. You know, Carragher, Hippier, Murphy, uh, Gerrard, uh, Dudek in goal. You know, they, they had some fantastic players. Um, so it was a great team performance and a wonderful 2-0 victory, which, which ultimately go down as one of Celtic's, you know, best European results away from home. Took us into the semi-final, of course. Absolutely. And, and obviously, Bo Vista and obviously um, Porto as well in the final. Um, I know you had your injury, but just sum up that end to the season because looking back at that game now, it, it still holds pain for so many. Yeah, well, I never played in the final. I played in 12 out of the 13 games and I missed the final. Not, not to say that, you know, anything else would have been different. Um, it was a very, very hot night and I might have struggled anyway because I never particularly played in the heat. But what I would say, I was, I was on fire that year. I got my 25th goal of the season when we came back uh, after Boa Vista. We beat Rangers 2-1 at Ibrox. And um, there was about seven or eight games to go of that season. And I had to have a back injury because I, uh, I burst a disc in my back. So I got my 25th goal in that particular game. So there's no doubt, in my opinion, I'd have scored a few more goals. And we lost that season by a goal, which was quite hard to take. We, we lost it one goal. We lost that league by... Um, I mean, we ended up with no trophies at all. Um, but you go back and I've viewed this set a few times, really, uh, that, you know, the Celtic supporters, they had such an amazing ride, you know, not just with Seville, but Stuttgart, Cardiff Vigo, Liverpool, Blackburn, all these places, away games, where they enjoyed themselves so much just seeing the team get to a, another European final that they, they, they wouldn't swap that run um, for any trophy. You know, they were just happy to go. 80-odd thousand Celtic fans in Seville. Um, you know, but it, it was disappointing. Obviously, we ended up with no trophies and the way that we lost the final as well. And Jose Mourinho up to his old antics and his tricks. Um, but uh, it was disappointing. But ultimately, we'd reached the European final. And, um, you know, um, I get a lot of stick about missing a penalty against Rangers in the cup final. Um, but people forget Alan Thompson missed a penalty at Kilmarnock as well, by the way. <laughs> and Chris Sutton missed a penalty in the Scottish Cup final. Nobody mentions that, do they? Everybody <laughs> talks about my penalty miss, but there we are. But uh, no, it was, it was quite cruel on us, really. But um, ultimately, we didn't get it done, and sometimes you've got to live with that. And in terms of those Rangers games, John, you were a player who seemed to thrive on those occasions, scoring goals, um, being a player who, as I say, rose to the, the occasion. That atmosphere and, and, and what that game meant to the supporters, was that something that as soon as you arrived at Celtic, you immediately bought into? And when those games came around, you were looking forward to them? Yeah, and I loved them. I, I loved the big games. I, I loved the, the big game pressures. Um, uh, you had to stand up and be counted in the big games. I think the, play, the big players generally do. Um, they are the games that 
you would do yourself to the crowd. And, uh, and as I said, they were fast, they were ferocious. They, they always meant something to the supporters, no matter if, if we were 25 points clear or you know, nine or 10 points behind, it, it didn't matter. Whether it was a semi-final or a quarter-final or a cup final, um, it was so important to win them. And it's a game for the supporters. That's what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a game for the supporters um, to go into work and to feel good about their team and everything else. And, and I'd, I'd always followed Swansea all my life as a supporter, born and bred in Swansea. So Cardiff was Swansea's big game. And as a supporter of Swansea, I used to go to them games and I know how it feels when you win them big games. So I could relate to it as a, obviously Saturday Rangers is, is huge. You know, I think the games go out to so many hundreds of countries worldwide, the game. When it's when it's played out live on the television, um, I managed to score nine goals in 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 them games. It could have been eleven. I had two perfectly good goals disallowed for offside when they weren't clearly offside. Um, so that wrangles with me a little bit. Eleven sounds better than nine, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but I'll I'll take the nine if you like. Um, and it was a bit of a mixed bag. I think there was one, once or twice, you know, we lost big games, you know, like the Scottish Cup final, if you like, where well, I'd scored in early on. Um, I think Peter Lovencrantz got two. Um, and then we lost one or two other Cup games, league games. But I think they were, they, they were pretty much, you know, could they, they had a good team at the time, you know, um, under like McLeish, of course, and Dick Advocate. But um, no, I, I say to anybody now, I speak to my mates and they say, John, what, what is that game like? You know, what is that game? What, what's the atmosphere like? And, and I just say to people, look, you've got to try and get to one. And I've got to be careful because they ask me for tickets then. So it's <laughs> difficult, you know. Um, so I, have, I always say to people, try and experience, if you can, you know, this particular game because it's... Um, it's a wonderful occasion and, uh, you know, the atmosphere is just electric, it really is. But it's also very important to win them because it's a nightmare if you, if you don't and you lose one. Based on what you've said there, the fact that if you win them, it's the best feeling in the world. If you don't, it's a complete nightmare. Yeah. A sort of personal question for you, John. See, when you played for Celtic, where did you live? Because Glasgow is, is a goldfish bowl. Did you stay in and around the city or did you deliberately stay out with because... I imagine being a Celtic player, especially a key player, could be quite overwhelming for some when they arrive at first. I lived in a place called Houston, which is not far from the airport. I lived next door to Paul Lambert and Paul McStay. And um, so Paul Lambert and Paul McStay, you know, they played in, in many games, um, you know, big games, been at Celtic for years. So I thought, um, not particularly because they lived there, liked the house and I was out there, it happened to be that Paul, two Pauls were there, McStay and Paul Lambert. So being out there, obviously, it, it was absolutely fine, you know. Um, and generally, to be honest, it, it's, it happens, you know, but not, not very rare where you walk in, in the town and with your wife or your kids or whatever and and maybe once in, I don't know, in a blue moon, you get a Rangers fan that might just shout something out. Um, it happened maybe once in five years, 
that's that's not a bad average, is it? Really. Yeah. Um, and I would imagine that it's the same with the, the Celtic players now. I, I I don't really think. I think sometimes people say, you know, you do you get a boost, and you get this, and you get that. Not really. I I never really. Did. I think the I think the Rangers supporters waited until I got on the pitch, and then I got plenty of it, you know. But um, it doesn't happen that often. So I wouldn't want to be scaremongering people away from joining Celtic or Rangers. You know, it's like two big other clubs. It's like it's like Manchester. You play for Man United or Man City. Now I know Celtic and Rangers is, is a bit more ferocious at times, uh, and the fans because of the disliking of of, of each other. Um, you know, you got Liverpool. You got you got Everton and, and, and Liverpool supporters living in the same city. Um, and I wouldn't have thought it's that bad. I, I think people try and, um, you know, but it was once or twice. There was a couple of occasions, yeah, but it, it wasn't that bad. So going back to your original point about me deciding to live out in Houston, away from the city where it where it's all happening, if you like, that wasn't the reason. Neil Lennon lived in the West End all his life. He's still in the West End with his family. And the West End is very, you know, um, lots of universities and people and everything else. And um, sorry, sorry, say university students and people like this. Um, and it's it's very vibrant the West End. And Neil Neil's lived there all 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 the while he's been here. Now I know Neil's had a lot of problems, um, you know, people painting on the streets and people threats and things like that, which hasn't been very nice at all. Um, but as I said, for myself personally, there they were incidents, but they were, they were very few and far between in, in terms of abuse or anything like that. Two things I want to talk to you about. Time at Celtic, scoring over 100 goals for the club. How proud does that make you? And also winning the Player of the Year award now. I know you shared that with the late Fernando Rickson, God rest him. Just how proud do those make you, especially when you look back on them now? Yeah, extremely proud. But it was 2005 where... I won the, I got 30 goals that season, which was the most I got in any given season. I got 24 for West Ham in the Premier League down, down in England. Um, but we, again, we lost the league. We won the Scottish Cup, beating Dundee United in the final. But we came so close to winning the league, didn't we? And we lost it on that helicopter Sunday where the Rangers, you know, did what they had to do at, at Easter Road. And we lost uh, to Motherwell. So having picked up them awards, it didn't. It, it just sort of put a little bit of a stain on them for me because we should have picked up the trophies. Well, we should have gone to Motherwell and won. As it happens, we didn't. We, we didn't play well enough and we got beat. Um, we had opportunities in the game. So yeah, it, it feels great to have scored over 100 goals. You know, a lot of the top strikers, Lee Griffiths has just done it. Uh, Henrik has done it. Brian McClare, Charlie Nicholas, Jimmy Johnson. I could go on, you know. Um, um, Jimmy McGrory, I think he's got the most ever goals. He's the record goal scorer. Bobby Lennox, Frank McGarvey, all these guys, you know, that 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 have, that have worn that centre forwards jersey. So to have joined that list of of great players in terms of goals scored, it makes me very proud. You know, to have scored over a hundred goals for any football club, mm. um, you know, is good. And I never managed it at Arsenal or West Ham. I, one of the reasons for that was because I never spent that much time there. And uh, I spent five years at Celtic, which gave me time 
to accumulate all them goals, really. But no, very, very proud. Um, nobody can ever take them goals away from me, you know. Um, and it was a great, as I, as I alluded to earlier on, it was just, um, it, it was a real honour, you know, to have represented the club and to have played under the managers, both Gordon and Martin, and to have played with some, some world-class players that, that I managed to share the pitch with. What was life like after Celtic? You mentioned the fact you joined West Bromwich Albion. Also, there was talk that you could have joined Swansea um, at points in your career as well. Just how do you adapt to life after Celtic when, as you've said earlier on, you have to win every game, three defeats in a row is a crisis, whereas when you go to, no disrespect, West Bromwich Albion, a win in two draws is seen as, can be seen as a good run of form, whereas as you know at Celtic, that, that's a crisis. I pretty much, um, I pretty much knew that when when Gordon Strachan came to the club, although I'd worked under Gordon at um, at um, Coventry, and <clears throat> he played a big part in me coming to Celtic. He actually told me to join Celtic. He was very friendly with Martin O'Neill, I believe, and we won the title in the in in his first year. Myself and Magic Zoravsky, we got um, that we both got twenty goals plus or something like that, and. Um, he was a good player as well, Magic, by the way. He was an excellent striker. I really enjoyed playing with him. He was really quick and he used to play off shoulders and everything. Um, but I came back for pre-season uh, the, on the season that I left Celtic and um, Kenny Miller was in the dressing room. Scott McDonald was in the dressing room. And I, Chris had left. Alan Thompson had left. Henrik weren't there. Jackie had left. And I, I think pretty much Gordon had come in with a view. Steve McManus was the new captain, and he did well. Stephen he won three Celtic, uh, you know, league titles as a, as a skipper under Gordon. Um, and I pretty much had a feeling that Gordon wanted to change a few things, which was his prerogative. And uh, and then I was quickly sold to West Brom. Um, and then Tony Mowbray signed me at West Brom. And Tony said to me once, he said, John, he said, when I was at Hibs as manager, he said, I work on my team all week to stop you. He said, it wasn't anybody else. He said, because I knew a lot went through you, he said, as a focal point at Celtic. So I thought it was a massive compliment what, it, what he paid me uh, that day. Um, and then he turned around and said, I'm not going to play you here. <laughs> and I was like, all right, okay. Because he said, I like, I like players to get in behind and things like this. And, you know, we'd worked with other players, I think, um, Derek Ryden and one or two others at, at Hibs and these, these young kids and stuff like that. And, um, and that was fair enough. So I don't think it was ever going to work even at West Brom for me. Uh, and then I became ill. I became ill. I, I was diagnosed with, with cancer in 2009, at the back end of 2008. Um, but it's never the same when you leave Celtic. Uh, I think you can you can maybe go to a club and have a bit of success and and you know still still enjoy your football. But uh, I think when you've been at a, 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 a such a, a massive club with a huge fan base and used to winning things and, and everything else, um, that was probably where I I I I, I played my sort of my last decent bit of football. Although I was with West Brom, and I was ever so sorry for Brian Robson and West Brom because they put me on a good sort of package. And um, 
I was ready to go. And I just, that was probably the only club where I never really excelled was West Brom. Um, because I probably wasn't physically with the cancer and everything else. I just gone through a divorce, which wasn't very nice. Um, I was living in the Midlands and my kids were in Wales. And I was back and forth traveling a hell of a lot. And that was weighing quite heavy on me personally. So it was only, um, they paid half a million pounds for me and they, they, they also bought Kevin Phillips, who was a tremendous centre forward and also a really good guy, some brilliant people at West Brom, some fantastic club, the Baggies fans. And it's probably the only, the only club that I never really hit big heights. And I'd done that at Arsenal and I'd done it at West, West Ham, I'd done it at Wimbledon, I certainly did it at Celtic, I did it at Luton. And it was probably about the only club where I could say to the supporters, I wasn't quite, because I think there was ongoing issues going on. I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't tunnel visioned like mm. I'd been at other places. Um, so basically, you know, that was that. But going back to the original question, you know, what was it like after leaving Celtic? Um, how do you replace Celtic? You know, it's very difficult, especially for me at 33, whatever I was, 31, 32, maybe I was younger. Um, but no, as I said, and, and that's no um, criticism of, of anybody at West Brom. Or it, it was all down to myself, really. And in terms of your illness, um, I've read Please Don't Go and, and I've, I've suffered from, from a few mental health issues over the last 18 months and I found that the book actually really helped me in the sense that when you when you read your story, you read everything you were going through, the struggles, the the mental challenge that comes with such an illness as well, and how you were able to overcome both the physical and mental side of that. I'll be honest with you, John, and I'm not just saying this because you're on. I found it really inspiring for my own life as well, and mm. I think that the the openness and honesty that you've you've had over the years with everything. Um, struggles you've had, illness for me, credit to you because it really has helped myself and I know it will have helped so many more too No thank you, that's very kind words thanks for saying that um, and that literally was the reason for doing the book it was to help others um, it was to inspire others that if I, if I got cancer then anybody could get it you know, and anybody could beat it uh, with that little bit of adversity and that um, and that sort of determination and, and courage and everything else. Because when you're fighting cancer, you, you certainly need an awful lot of luck as well. You, you things to go your way. Um, if the cancer goes into certain parts, certain areas, it, it, it's very difficult. Um, but for me personally, it was important to get it out there. It was important to look back and, um, and, and, and tell that cancer story. And again, the um, the the support I received from um, from the Celtic family, from, from other clubs that I'd not particularly, I played for their opposition teams and um, not particularly got along with over the years. In a footballer's career, you can't tell me any player that, you know, gets on with, with every other sort of supporter and fans and God knows what. And I played for some big clubs with big rivals, you know, so you've got Spurs, Arsenal and and obviously being a Swansea fan, Cardiff, but I've got to say Cardiff City fans, Rangers fans, Spurs fans, as well as the clubs that I played for, were just, it was overwhelming the amount of support that I received in terms of 
And I think that's generally the way. I think when you're when somebody gets really ill, seriously ill on, on death's door, that's what I was, you know, eyes rolling on the slab. I was I was in a terrible way at one stage. Um I think the whole football community pulls together and um football almost becomes you know a, a sidestep if you like everybody wants to um, support that particular person and wish them well hope they get through their particular fight and battles and that was the case and uh, the hospital in Swansea was overwhelmed with the amount of support the cards the flowers the phone calls everything and they'd never seen anything like it it was boxes and boxes and everything and they helped me because I was opening the cards and and it was, you know, it helped me an awful lot. Absolutely, and, and and thank goodness that you're able to tell that story because, as I said, yeah, it's you really got me there. <laughs> you really got me, but not, not quite. It, it just um, it helps so many. And following those battles, you've worked in the media. You've had a media career that's been very successful, um, both in Scotland and in England. Um, you've tried your hand at some coaching as well. You've coached with the Welsh national team, you've coached with Newport, and yeah. we've got a mutual friend and, and David Hopkin, who you, you worked with at Livingston. Um, yeah. Is being a manager something that you want to do one day? And is that something you're, now that you're based in Scotland again, based in Edinburgh, you would consider an opportunity if it was to come up in Scotland? Yeah, well, I've, I've, to be honest with you, I've, I have tried to get into management. I think um, I haven't had much joy. Um, I've had one or two interviews and um, I've recently applied for the Dundee United job. I'm not expecting it. Um, I applied for the Swansea job twice. Um, and again, I think, I think everybody deserves a chance to show what they can do. Um, but the media side of things have maybe been um, an issue for me in terms of maybe when you, when you do think that you know, you, you'd like an opportunity somewhere. I think sometimes people come back and they go, well, he's a media man. He's doing a lot of media. And I think they get a bit, you know, and, and it's generally people who've got in. And even if they haven't done particularly well at that particular club, they will then get another chance because a lot of owners and CEOs and things like this, they tend to go for people who have had a bit of experience. It's very difficult to get in on your first one as a number one. And the other way to do it, of course, is to go in with an experienced coach, coach for a couple of years, do your grounding, do your homework, um, learn, you know, how to, how to take sessions and everything else. And then obviously take over when that particular person leaves for a bigger or whatever if he gets sacked or whatever else and then you get an opportunity that way so there's several ways you can get an opportunity but I haven't had the best of luck in terms of the management side I've, I've been busy with uh, BT Sport and the BBC and I've had columns and everything else but I've not had a lot of luck when I have applied for jobs and that's that's the honest truth you know um but you know that can be a little bit frustrating when I when I've looked at certain jobs and think oh, they won't they won't give it to me, so I'm not bothered sometimes. You know I'm not I'm not really bothered. But then again I think well sometimes there's something I apply. I got an interview with Carlisle. Sorry, I applied for Carlisle last year. I spoke to um, I spoke to um, 
David Holdsworth, uh, who was doing all the interviews and never quite got that one over the line, if you like. So I've had, I've had opportunities. I've coached, I've coached Wales with Chris Coleman. I've been an assistant to Chris as well. Um, so I've worked with the big players, you know, that Wales have, have got now as well, some world-class players. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what's in the future, to be honest with you. But I, I've, I've sort of dipped my toe into one or two things and not quite stuck my whole foot in yet, <laughs> if you like. But that can sometimes be a consequence of somebody has to give you an opportunity. You know, um, and it's not come yet. But again, as I say, it's 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 just the way things have gone, really. Um, but this year now, I'm hoping to get some more media stuff, and uh, I'm happy. I'm healthy. I've got a lovely family, and we'll just see what's around the corner. Absolutely, I wish you all the best with that. And just want to finish with a quick round of of quick five questions. First one being, okay. what favourite sport outside of football? Golf. I'd be playing today if it wasn't lashing down with rain here in Edinburgh. <laughs> and in terms of that, in terms of the golf, who, out of your teammates from any club, who was the best golfer? Paul Telfer was excellent. Paul plays off one or two. Uh, I knew Paul. I played with Paul at three different clubs. Luton, Coventry and Celtic. A uh, big friend of mine, Paul Telfer. Lovely, lovely guy. Um, and he was an amazing golfer. Julian Dix at West Ham, he joined the tour at one stage. He's single figures. I don't know how much Jules is playing golf now. John Moncur is another great player. But um, oh, definitely Paul Telfer was the best. Where's the strangest place you've travelled with football? Oof. Oh, I don't know. Strangest place. Uh, thanks for giving me time to, to, to think about these before coming on. But... Um, <laughs> Strangest place. Uh, just trying to think. Uh, strangest places. Went to Azerbaijan a few times uh, about 15, 16 years ago when, when it wasn't the place that it is now. Um, now Azerbaijan is fantastic. Uh, been to Moldova, been to Georgia, um, these type of places. Played in Romania, played in Bulgaria, Sofia. Um, and they're all great experiences, you know, different cultures and and everything else. Um, so you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't call them strange because I wouldn't want to sound in as if I'm you know critical of anywhere. But uh, no, we also played in a uh, I think now for Wales. Um, we played. Uh, and, and we had some big players with us, with like some Mark Uzi and Rush Ryan Giggs, all these type of guys, and. Like one day we stayed in a strange hotel and it wasn't the best. We went up to the rooms and there was there was bed bugs everywhere and everything else. So a couple of the senior players come downstairs and says, we're out. We're out. We took a decision and said, never mind the management. They packed their bags. They said, we've got to leave this hotel. And we ended up getting on the bus trying to find a hotel somewhere. I can't, I can't think quite where it was now, but it was like... Um, it was like a smaller country, one of these sort of qualifying games, but uh, <laughs> I put that down as a bad experience as well. In terms of yourself and your, your family, are you a city break person or a beach holiday type person? Uh, I don't like the beach because I burn. I just burn factor 50. Uh, I like hotels now that I've got things to do for the kids because we've got young kids, uh, three little girls. My eldest daughter's in Australia, travelling. My son Johnny's in Wales. Um, so 
I like a nice hotel where you can go down in the morning and, and have uh, and have your breakfast, and then the kids can play in different pools and make friends and everything else, and a um, bit of kids club as well for the kids. So you and the missus can have a quiet drink around about lunchtime when the kids are, you know, in the kids club. Uh, but I like the countryside as well. I've, I've lived. Um, I like London and places like this and Glasgow. I now live in Edinburgh, which is a beautiful city. Um, but I do like the countryside as well. I like greenery. There's lots of greenery in Wales. And I like, I like the drive up to Fort William through Glencore and all these places uh, where I go up and see my in-laws. And I love nice views and I like water. You know, when I'm from in Swansea, you've got the Gower Peninsula and Caswell Bay and, you know, um, uh, places like this, you know, just beautiful parts of the world. So, yeah, I'm quite lucky, really. I'm, I'm, I'm quite lucky. I'm not too fussy what I like, but I'm quite lucky. <laughs> In terms of Scotland, when you arrived at Celtic, did, did you ever imagine that, you, that Scotland would be the country you wanted to settle in with your family? Um, yes and no, because I think when I, when I left Celtic, um, I went down to the Midlands and I wanted to go home for a while because I had my treatment there, my cancer treatment in the two Swansea hospitals. And because my wife is uh, from Scotland, from, um, from Fort William, uh, we wanted, she wanted to come back mainly because, you know, she, was, she wanted her parents to be a part of our lives with the kids because my three little girls, my three small ones, were born in Swansea. Um, my son Johnny was born in in, in Glasgow, and uh, so we got a bit of a a bit of a mix really about where they were born and everything. But it's interesting because I played for Celtic for five years, and I've now been in Edinburgh for four years, and I'm I'm 45 years of age. So it's almost it's almost a quarter of my life. You know, it's nine or ten years I've been in Scotland now. It's like a quarter of my life that. I've actually spent in Scotland, you know, um, my time as a player and now my time just living in a, in a beautiful city just outside Edinburgh. So um, I'm settled for a while now. I think a lot will depend on what happens next. Uh, I don't think you can ever say this, this is where you will be for the rest of your life. Um, so we'll just see how it goes. But I love Scotland. Many, many fantastic friends up here. Uh, outside the world of sport as well, and uh, no, I, I'm, I'm quite settled and I'm happy where I am at the minute. Yeah, Finish with some football questions. Best players you played with? Well, I, I always said I couldn't separate Larson or Burkamp in terms of how good they were. They were both just head and shoulders. But I played with many great players. I played with the likes of Mark Hughes. I played with Sutton, I played with Bellamy, I played with Giggs, I played with Keane, um, I played with Lampard, you know, I played with some Rio Ferdinand. So I've been blessed. I've, I've probably left five out as well there. I played with Stan Petrov, Paul Lambert, world-class players. Um, and of course, um, some great defenders, Tony Adams, you know, you and me, Albie, these great, great centre-halves, Kevin Ratcliffe. So, uh, no, I'd be really lucky I've, I've, I've shared the pitch with some fantastic players. But if I had to say two, all depends. If I'm in Glasgow, I say Henrik. If I'm in London, I say <laughs> Keep everybody happy, you know. But, um, which is difficult at times. 
So no, they they were both superstars and fabulous players. You know, Henrik was a freak of nature. The goals he scored was just phenomenal, incredible player. Um, in all of it, just training with him. And again, uh, Burkamp came to Arsenal from Inter Milan, and and Dennis was a genius as well. Unbelievable. Yeah, so I'd say them two. Toughest direct opponent. Um, well, again, I, I played against most. I played against the Steve Bruce's and the Colin Hendrys, um, the Gary Pallisters, the Razor Ruddocks, the Tony Adams, the Martin Keones, and the Carnavaros and the Nestas and the, the Berezis and the Costa Cruz. So I played against them all. One of the players that um, I, I struggled against was Roberto Ayala when we played Valencia. Um, he was fantastic. I think he's got 125 caps for Argentina. And he's only about five foot nine, five foot ten, but he was outstanding. I don't think I won a header. Um, he, he was sort of, uh, he was aggressive. He was physically really strong. So you know that was that was um, an eye opener that night playing against him at the Mustaya. We lost the game one nil. Um, and uh, but again, you know, so many great ones. And my roommate at Arsenal was Martin Keown. Martin was very physical, very good centre half. Um, but if I had to say one, I'd probably say Ayala for Valencia, Argentinian. Most underrated player you played with, and I don't mean underrated in the fact that they maybe weren't appreciated by you guys as players, but maybe the fans in particular didn't maybe give them the credit that they deserved. You took the words out of my mouth there, actually, because you answered there what I was going to say. Uh, if I say somebody, then the fans would probably go, oh, well, no, you're wrong there, big man, you're wrong. No, we did appreciate him, we did like him. Um, you know, underappreciated. Uh, Let me just think. Underappreciated. That's a difficult one because um, I'm just trying to think. I, I, maybe someone like Paul Kitson at West Ham. Paul Kitson came from Newcastle. And, uh, you know, it's easy for me to say someone like Stan Petrov, but the fans loved him. They knew how brilliant he was. And... You know, Stan was just an incredible player. I could say Jackie McNamara and my roommate. The fans loved them both. They knew what good job they were. So when I say Paul Kitson, people might go, oh, Paul Kitson. But no, Paul was an outstanding player. And when we both linked up together at West Ham, um, you know, we, we scored an awful lot of goals together as a partnership. We hit it off straight away without necessarily working on too many things. Um, Another good centre-half was Andy Melville, playing for Wales, ex-Sunderland, um, ex-Fulham. And Andy wasn't the quickest, uh, he wasn't the tallest, but he never got beaten in the air. He never got outrun. His positional sense was just unbelievable. You know, if the centre-forward was quick, he'd drop off. He would just, you know, back into him if, if he knew he, he couldn't get a run on him to win the header. So Big Melv was, was a fantastic centre-half as well, who I didn't think um, maybe people appreciated. Again, Neil Lennon. Neil, I don't think everybody really appreciated the good work that he did for the team. Some people might think, oh, we did, we do, and they, they did. Lots of people are quite... But, you, you know, you, you look at Neil and uh, never scored goals. Wasn't overly quick. Um, Intercepted exceptionally well, captained the team, was excellent in the dressing room, kept everybody on their toes, was a leader of men. Martin O'Neill loved him, had him at Leicester, 
for a couple of hundred games, whatever it was, had him at Celtic and um, gone into management, Gordon Strachan gave him an opportunity to, to, to coach at Celtic. Um, he took that on and now he's on the verge of, of history. You know, so there's, there's some players I played with that maybe would, they, we were quite happy not to be the stars. They just got on with it, did their job, did their job, eight or nine out of ten every week. Quite happy. I don't need any plaudits, don't need any credit. You know, let the goal scorers go and do their thing. Let the defenders get cuts across the eye and broken noses <laughs> and all that. I'll just keep it simple and I'll keep the ball. And Neil never give it away. Never ever give the ball away. So, um, you know, maybe a, a little shout there for my old teammate. Who was a bigger character, Chris Sutton or Craig Bellamy? Both characters, really. Um, Craig I played with for 10 years, obviously with um, with the national team. I played with him at Coventry, played with him at Celtic as well. So I, he was all right with me. I think he had a bit of respect <laughs> for me, Craig. So he never, he never, um, you know, he never fancied his chances with me. But um, Chris, again, is a great character. Um, very dry, good sense of humour. Very bright, intelligent man as well. Um, so, yeah, I'd sit on the fence for that one. They're, they're both characters, good lads, good friends of mine. Last question I've got for you, John. Um, you played under some incredible managers during your career, Martin O'Neill, Gordon Strachan. You mentioned George Graham, of course, brought you to Arsenal, David Pleat, many others as well with the national team. Mm. Um, if you could play for any manager now in the game, who would you choose and why? Now in the game, I think it's, it's got to be Jurgen Klopp now. I think he lets you express yourself. Um, I think he's like he's like um, he's infectious, like Martin used to be. He heads every ball, he kicks every ball on the sideline. I think he understands players, he understands strengths and weaknesses. <clears throat> he doesn't make many changes to the Liverpool team. Um, he'll tinker a little bit with it at times, but same as our team, we never changed much. If our, if our main 11 was fit, that was the team that would play. Um, he would obviously give people a rest when they needed it, but uh, he would also see how you were. And if you didn't want to rest, he'd play you. That was fine. He let, it, he let it up to you. If you played well, you kept the shirt. Um, so he put the onus on you to go and play and perform. And I see very big similarities in, 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 in them too. Um, so it would be Jurgen Klopp, of course, as well. Liverpool having the success that they've had, you know, uh, European champions lost in the European final the year before, Premier League winners, first time in 30 years. I wouldn't be surprised if they went on and, and did it again. But again, you look at Man City, the incredible side. Um, Frank Lampard as well, bringing a lot of... Um, a lot of his own ideas, got money to spend uh, into Chelsea. So they'll, they'll challenge as well. Um, yeah, so I'd have to say Klopp, but going back to all my old, my other managers, they all brought something different, you know. Um, Mark Hughes with Wales, John Toshak, um, Harry Redknapp, George Graham, Joe Kinnear at, at Wimbledon. Um, you know, so there's lots, really, Gordon as well, and Martin. Um, Martin would be my number one because he took that chance on me as well. You know, he, I might not have been at Celtic if Martin Neal wasn't manager. I can guarantee you I wouldn't be at Celtic if Martin wasn't the manager. 
because having failed four medicals, he put his trust and his faith in me and he played me. And, um, and I came back with a hundred goals for him, you know, so um, he gave me a chance that I also did okay for him. Absolutely. And I have to say, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Okay, it's my pleasure. Good luck to you. All the best. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be 